0: So John chapter 6, starting in verse 15. You know, what John is doing here as we've been moving through the book of John, <clears throat> John of course is trying to help us understand who Jesus is, and I think he's done a very good job in terms of what he's shared, that we understand that Jesus truly is God the Son, and, and that by having that knowledge that we'll worship Him for who He is. But we're going to see what... What Jesus is starting to do with His disciples, and particularly in His ministry, He's moving away from really the larger public ministry, and now He's moving into more private ministry. He's preparing His disciples on growing in their faith because Jesus only has about a year and a half left with Him. This is about, right here in John chapter 6, about the two-year mark. And as Jesus moves closer to the crucifixion, He's going to help His disciples. They need to grow up. They need to understand who Jesus is, and they need to worship Him and have, if you will, the stamina and strength to keep moving forward the ministry. The problem is that the disciples still don't quite understand who Jesus is. Now, Jesus had just performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000 plus all their families, some 20,000 people, and Jesus revealed in that that He is truly the provider, that there is no problem that's too big for the Lord but I think they still see him still as maybe a mere man or, or maybe some great prophet. So this morning what Jesus is going to do, he's going to test their faith for the purpose of helping them to grow. I can tell you just up front, comfort is not an area that really helps us to grow very much in spiritual faith. Oftentimes what the Lord will allow in our life is a difficulty, a storm, something to get our attention. And it is in those moments That Jesus shows up even in the midst of the storm that's crashing around us. So let's take a look at the text in John chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. It says So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, when evening had come, the disciples went down to the sea. And after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark. And Jesus had not yet come to them. So how does spiritual growth happen? The first thing we see is spiritual growth happens when we obey God in the small things. Spiritual growth happens when we obey God in the small things. So Jesus has performed this miracle. He's he's fed some 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And, And suddenly the crowd that was there, they want to make Jesus king. Basically what they want, they want a welfare state. They want somebody to be at their beck and call, kind of like a a god in a bottle, genie in the bottle kind of thing that they can call on whenever they're hungry, and He's going to somehow provide for them. But Jesus knows the heart of man. He understands that we're fickle. And so He sends His disciples away, and He sends the whole crowd away. By the way, one man sending a whole 20,000 people away, this is, again, is an evidence that He is truly divine, truly divine. God in the flesh. And both Matthew 14 and Mark 6, these are parallel accounts of these events. Jesus wants to be alone. So he sends his disciples away. And, and where the disciples go, Mark tells us, they go down to this area of Bethsaida. It's down near the coast. They get in a boat and they cross over to, to Capernaum. Now, what the disciples are doing here is they're being faithful to obey. Just a simple little command that Jesus gives them. Now, it tells us in Matthew 14 that Jesus made the disciples leave, and Mark tells us that the crowd went away. But I I gotta think, you know, here's the disciples are getting into this boat. Now they've been with Jesus for two full years. Still in their mind, they're thinking that Jesus is going to establish some kind of a kingdom here on this earth. So as they're rowing away from shore, I think suddenly it's beginning to dawn on them, and I think they're a little confused. They're thinking, wait a minute. You just had 20,000 people that said they were going to make him king and he sends them away. I think they're kind of confused. They're kind of stunned. Why didn't Jesus take that opportunity? Why didn't he take that moment? He could overthrow overthrow Rome. You know, they could have that Jewish state that they really wanted. And oh yeah, by the way, they're, they're on each side of them, right? They're the ones ruling with him. But that wasn't Jesus' plan. Now they did obey the Lord. And that's a very important point here. It's a simple little thing. He says, hey, guys, get in a boat. I'm not coming with you. By the way, the only other time I could find in Scripture where Jesus sent them away was when he was with the woman at the well, and he sent them to get some food. And so they're used to him always being with them, but he sent them away, miles away. And, and I think they're a little confused. They're a little bit afraid. But we need to understand that everything that Jesus does, he, did, uh, he does with divine authority because he truly is the Son of God. And He sends them away, He sends the crowds away, but He's doing it for a purpose. They need to learn a lesson. They need to grow in their faith. Look at verses 16 and 17, it says, Now when evening came, the disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into the boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. So Jesus gives them a command, and they obey Him, even though they don't understand. Being in the faithful in the small things, these things matter to God. When something is in Scripture and it's clear, we are to obey it. The small things are important. And often this is the first step to growing in our faith. We don't always have to understand the beginning and the end. Oftentimes we just have to understand what does the Scriptures tell us for us to obey And if we understand, we have to obey it. As a follower of Christ, the safest place to be is in the will of God. Now, the crowds, they wanted a king, and they wanted an earthly kingdom. But we know from John chapter 18 that they didn't want the kingdom that Jesus was offering. As a matter of fact, it's interesting, the kingdom, if you want to call it the seeds of the kingdom, it's actually in a boat rowing away from shore right now. These guys are the beginning of God's kingdom on earth. And what they didn't realize through that little step of faith that they took in obedience, there's going to be a storm and it's right around the corner for them. You know, sometimes things aren't exactly the way we would like it. I shared a couple weeks ago when I preached that my wife and I, after we came off the mission field in England in 1998, that we settled back here in the States and I went right back into secular work I'd been away from the, from the printing industry for almost two years, and suddenly I was back at the very same company that I had left almost two years earlier, and I was doing the exact same job. I was an account executive. I oversaw large hospitals here in Orange County, and I got to tell you, that that first year for me back in the States was kind of confusing to me. When we came back and we started to attend Pacific Hills Church, where we had been before, and, and very quickly, the, the missions pastor there, he was a friend of mine, he wanted to start a church, and So he took off two months after we landed to start a brand new church plan. Hey, I had some familiarity with that. We had spent two years on the mission field just about doing a church plan. So I said, hey, I'll help you. And So my family, after two months here, we started with this church plan. But I realized pretty quickly once the church got going that we didn't really line up theologically. He wanted to be a Presbyterian church. He wanted to baptize babies. And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't find that in Scripture. I didn't feel comfortable with that. And so... Just to have a clear conscience, after about five months of helping them with the church plant, we decided that it just didn't quite work out for our family. And suddenly, we're in this search for a church. And we're back on American soil. I'm back into doing the job that we're doing. Now, the kids are doing great. They kind of plugged right back in into American life. My wife was doing great. She, she was able to stay home because the job that I had very quickly, it just started to fire on all the cylinders, and God provided, and I was able to provide for my family, so Karen didn't have to work, although she had a little part-time job as a consultant helping some of the school districts here with autism, and she got called occasionally, but she always worked it around the kids' schedule, and so we were doing pretty well, but I got to tell you, about the seven-month mark back, I was struggling. Okay, the family's okay. We found a little house to rent. That was working out okay. And, you know, Karen's happy. Everybody was happy but me. And we were kind of struggling with this area. Where do you find a, a church home? And so we started to do church shopping. Anybody done that? Ah, uh, It was the worst. And maybe some of you are in that place, and maybe you've come here this morning, and you're church shopping. But it was a very difficult process for me. I'd always been part of a church always been active in the church. And so now we were kind of going from fellowship to fellowship, kind of sitting under teaching and listening to different pastors and seeing how the different churches worked. And, and we went to probably five, six, maybe seven churches in about a three-month period. And we were praying. We we're saying, Lord, we really want a home, a place that you're calling us to be a part of. And, and I got a call from a friend, and he invited us to this church in the summer of 1999. We were off a street called Paula And we were much smaller then. There was maybe 200 people in the church. And and very quickly, we felt a part of the congregation. And and suddenly, we realized that this was the place that we were to serve. But I want to share with you something that, that really was a decision point for me and my family. When we came off the mission field, I made a decision, Karen made a decision, that we were going to be faithful in small things. We took a look at our life. And we made a hard decision that in every area of our life we were gonna say, Lord, is this what you want? And does it honor you? Even in the little things. So very quickly, I had been a missionary on a foreign land, suddenly I'm back on American soil. I made the decision, Second Corinthians 5 says, I'm an ambassador. My mission field's here. Okay, Lord, where's my mission field? It's my workplace. I spend the majority of my time there, so it's gotta be the employees there, my coworkers, and all my clients. And guys, I became a witness. I started sharing Christ with my friends and my coworkers, and the clients that I served. I made a small decision, although it's really a huge one. And if you haven't made this, you need to. I made a decision that I'd get up every morning early and I'd meet the Lord. I'd pray, and I'd read the Word of God. That's a steady, that's a rudder in the sea that helps you stay straight with the Lord. I made a decision how I would treat my family, that I would try to honor my wife and love her and and raise our kids in the ammunition of the Lord and help them to grow up in understanding who Jesus is. I knew in the workplace that I had to be a salesman, there's always a temptation to lie. So I said, Lord, I need to be a man of integrity. Help me to be honest in the workplace. Made a decision with our money. We said, Lord, you give us everything. You get the first fruits back. From the very start, we said, we're going to tithe unto the Lord. Whatever God gives us, he gets the first tenth. He gives that thing. Each one of those things, it may seem small, but guys, it matters so much. And then in the area of service, we just said, Lord, we want to serve. What do you want us to do? Okay, where's there a need? First thing we did, Karen and I, we joined the nursery. It's funny, we had a little plea last week for the nursery. There's always babies. There's always needs there. So what did we do? Hey, we helped with the kids. And then very quickly, Karen got involved in the women's ministry. I very quickly became an usher. And then I was asked to be part of the missions team here at church. And I said, hey, what do you guys do for missions? We go down to Mexico every year. We said, great, we're going to take our family. So for the past 17 years, we've done 17 trips. I've been at 13 of them. Why? Because that's something that I, I love. It's part of what God is doing. It's the way that I'm made, my family's made, and we kind of just plugged in to those areas, asking God to help us to be faithful in the little things. Now, there's a section of Scripture that speaks on this, and it's in Matthew 25. And I'll kind of give you, for the sake of time, just kind of the story. There's a very wealthy man, and he's getting ready to go on a long journey, and he calls his servants to him, and he gives them his wealth to manage. There's three of them. One of them, he gives five talents. The second one, he gives two talents. And the third one, he gives one talent. And he's expecting them to take those talents and to invest them and to use them for his glory, for his benefit. And then he goes off on this long journey. And then he comes back from this journey, and he calls his servants to him. And the first servant was wise with what he gave him, and he doubled it. Now he has 10. He gained five more. And the second servant was also wise, and he doubled it, and he had two more. But the third servant was afraid, didn't use what he had been given. He buried it in the ground and didn't do anything with what God, the Lord, had given him. The first two heard this from their master in Matthew 25, verse 21. He says, well done, you good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things, and I put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. But the, uh, the third servant, he wasn't faithful. These are the words that he heard, Matthew 25, 29, and 30. He says, for everyone who has, more shall be given. And he who has an abundance, but from the one who does not have, even from what he has, it shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A very serious set of scriptures. The first two were faithful. And they were given more. It has both a present day and an eternal perspective. Present day, he gave them more responsibility because they were faithful with the little things that he gave them. And in the end, in eternity, they will be given so much more. But the ones that are unfaithful, they will receive nothing now and in eternity. As we returned back from the mission field, and we made a simple plea... Let us simply serve you, Lord, in the small things. And I made a decision. It was a conscious decision. I said, Lord, I don't know what it is, but as you open the door, I'll just do it. You make it clear, and I'll step through the door. The disciples, they were faithful with a little thing. Hey, get in a boat, go over there. By the way, I'm not coming. And they honored the Lord. What they didn't realize is that God had a plan for them cause a storm to suddenly wake them up. And Karen and I and our family, we settled back here in Orange County and very quickly we became comfortable again in Orange County living. We became comfortable, if you will, in the routine. But can I tell you something? God is a routine breaker. He is a comfort shaker. And what we didn't know is a storm was right around the corner. First thing, growth happens when we obey God in the small things. Second thing, Growth happens when we recognize that the Lord is in the midst of our fears. Growth happens when we recognize that the Lord is right in the midst of our fears. Look at verses 18 through 20 in John chapter 6. It says, "'The sea began to be stirred up because of a strong wind was blowing. And then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. And He said to them, "'It is I, do not be afraid.'" So the disciples, they're they're rowing across, heading towards Capernaum. And all of a sudden, the strong wind begins to blow. Now, you need to understand, in that boat, you have Peter, you have James, you have John, and you have Andrew. All four of them are fishermen. They're very well acquainted with the water. This is like an easy trip. It's not very far from Bethsaida to Capernaum. It's about eight miles. But Matthew chapter 14, verse 24, says that the The boat was already a long distance and it started to be battered by the waves because the winds, it says, were contrary. This is no little storm. This is a major gale. And Mark chapter 6, verses 47 and 48 says it was evening and the boat was in the middle of the sea and Jesus was alone on the land and seeing them straining at the oars for the wind was against them and it was the fourth watch of the night and he came to them walking on the sea and he intended to pass them by. So you have Jesus, he's sitting somewhere on a hill, and it says that he's, he's looking out, and it's the fourth watch of the night. Now, this is supernatural scene, by the way. This isn't natural, I think. Why is that? Well, we know from Mark, he's they're about four miles off land. And by the way, the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 to 6 a.m. in the morning. The first watch is 6 to 9 p.m. That's when they got on the boat. The second watch is 9 to 12 midnight. The third watch is 12 to 3 a.m. And now it's between 3 to 6 a.m. It's dark. And I don't know about you, but I can't see very far in the middle of the ocean when it's pitch black dark from land. And so Jesus, though, being God in the flesh, He knows where they're at. He sees them. He knows their plight. He sees them straining, if you will, at the oars. And verse 19 tells us they were four miles off and also that they were frightened. So, these great seasoned fishermen, they're afraid. It's no longer about just getting to the other end, it's more about just staying alive. And think of it Jesus knows exactly where they are. And they're straining at the oars probably somewhere between six to nine hours. These guys are rowing away, but they're going nowhere. But Jesus knows where they're at. Again, this is evidence of his divine nature. And then one of the disciples, they see a shadow kind of moving in the distance. Verse 19 of John says he's drawing near to them, and Mark 6, 48 says he's intending to pass them by. So think about the image. You're in this boat. You're already afraid of the storm. You're working as hard as you can work, and then somebody cries out, oh my gosh, there's something, someone walking towards us. And we know from Matthew 14, 26, it says they were terrified, and they said it's a ghost, and they cried out with fear. Now I'm thinking, okay, Who else is it going to be, right? I mean, who else can even, with any chance, walk on water? But I think this is it, and this is a point that I think we need to understand. Sometimes it takes faith to see Jesus when we're afraid. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes my fear, it paralyzes me. And I have to have faith that the Lord is there. I have to trust Him. I have to see Him. I have to be willing to look for Him in the fear. And sometimes life can be crushing. Sometimes it's very difficult when when the things of this world, they kind of swirl around us, the difficult things hit, and sometimes it's not always clear what we can do or if even the Lord is there. But I can tell you, no matter what the crisis is, Jesus is there. And He knew exactly where to go in that black, dark night, And he knows exactly where you are in the depth of your storm, in the depth of what you fear the most. And he is always available, always present, always ready to enter in. Now, it's interesting. Why was Jesus doing this? There's an interesting word in the Greek, and I had never seen this before. It's called er paraerkamai. Paraerkamai maybe is the best way to pronounce it, paraerkamai. And what that is, that's a technical term from the Old Testament when it's in the Greek that refers to a theophany. And a theophany is when God made a temporary appearance in the earthly realm to select an individual or a group for the purpose of communicating a message. So if you remember, God put Moses in the cleft of a rock and, and then he passed by with his glory. You also see Elijah, he's, he's up upon a mountain, and it says that the Lord was about to pass by, and it says that he saw the wind, he saw the fire, and then there was a gentle breeze and he heard the voice of the Lord. And here again, you have the disciples in the sea. And each situation, whether it's the burning bush in that gentle breeze or the walking on the water, God is calling each of these people that he's going to call them into doing something Extraordinary. And it is often in those times, those moments when we are most fearful that God has a call for us to trust Him because He has something extraordinary for us within the midst of that. Jesus here, He's walking on the water and He's revealing who He is to them. They need to grow up. They need to know who He is and they need to trust Him in the very midst of the thing that they're most fearful about. The disciples, they had obeyed the Lord in a very simple thing. And by the way, because we obey, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy sailing. Oftentimes, when we obey the Lord, that's oftentimes when the storms really hit. That's oftentimes when there's resistance to move forward with the things that God wants us to do. But what he tells them, and it's so true for us today, look at verse 20. He says, it is I. Do not be afraid. He calls us to have courage. And this is a lesson for every Christian. We need to realize that it doesn't matter whatever place we're at, the Lord knows exactly what we need. And He shows up exactly at the right time that we need Him. This is a a lesson for the disciples, but it's also a lesson for us. And really, the Bible says that for us, there is no reason to fear. That if you are in Christ, take heart, there's no reason to be anxious because he is always available to us. Now, one of the disciples, Peter, he's about to become a water walker. He's about to take a risk. I think one of the biggest risks in the Bible, for Christ's sake. He's about to do something so extraordinary. I don't know if I have this kind of faith. I think he sees an opportunity. I think he sees an adventure, and he's ready. And I think that's the question for us. You willing? You ready to, for an adventure that maybe the Lord might call you to? The life of faith is never easy. It's never easy really for the Christian, no matter what your vocation is, no matter what your gender is. And oftentimes for us, life here on this earth is a life full of trials. It is a life full of storms. I got to tell you, I was different after I had served in England. My priorities got changed on that mission experience that we had there. Before I went to England, my life was wrapped up in in who I was by what I did, my job, my vocation as a sales guy. But in England, I I suddenly realized that I I wasn't what I did in the workplace. I was who I am in Christ. And suddenly, I I got kind of, if you want to call it a kingdom focus versus a rob focus. And I realized that my true calling is to serve the Lord no matter where I'm at. And so I made a determination, I'm going to be a Christian salesman. What does that mean? I don't know. I'm just going to serve the Lord wherever he's got me. And so it was at image printing. And it was with my family. And it was in this church. And I decided, however God wants to use me, I'm just kind of open to that. Because I felt torn. I felt kind of split. I, I, I wanted to serve the Lord full time with all of my energy, but I also knew that, that my wife had kind of come off the mission field, kind of beat up and kind of, I didn't want her to have to work. And so I saw the responsibility as a husband and a father to, to, to provide for my wife. And the only door that was open was the secular job as a sales guy. And so I just determined, Lord, you're going to have to change that if I'm going to serve you in any other way. But this is my mission field. This is where I'll serve you. And so I started asking the Lord, Lord, how can I serve you? And God opened up doors. I got asked to be part of the missions council here at the church and so I got involved in that and, and then I got then I saw that, you know, we were taking trips down to Mexico and I just started joining in on those trips and with our family we started to serve and Karen and I just started to, to figure out ways that we could be available. Neil asked me me to be part of the leadership team here in this church in two thousand one and I was part of the the board that made the decision to buy this building when we bought this building. But I gotta tell you I had a life changing trip that really kind of radically impacted me for the Lord's sake. A previous youth pastor, Pastor Jason, came to me at a men's retreat, and and he said, Rob, we're we're gonna go to Thailand. We're gonna go into a refugee camp, and it's gonna be rough. And he says, but I want you to co-teach with me the youth in that camp. Pastor Neil's gonna be doing like a pastor's conference, but then we're gonna have about 100 plus youth, and he says, I want you to go with me. And I man, I came up with every excuse not to go on that trip. That was on a Friday. I'm like, I stayed up all night, wrestling with the Lord. I mean, God, I can't afford it right now. and I'm, I'm working. I got way too much work. And you know, I got all these things. I had all these reasons why I shouldn't do it. And by the way, I hate bugs. And I'm thinking, Thailand, there's like some big old bugs there, man. So, you know, like everything was laid out before the Lord. But two things, at the end of that night, I knew the Lord had called me. And here's why. I've been praying. And I've been asking the Lord for two things. One, I'd ask the Lord specifically, God, would you open up new avenues for me to teach the Word of God? Here you go right before you, and I said, Lord, would you open up maybe a new opportunity of ministry that I haven't tried before? (laughs) Here you go. And so at the end of that night, in the early morning, I I, I surrendered my will to the Lord to go on that trip, and I'm so glad I did. On that trip, my heart kind of broke for the people in that refugee camp, and I don't know exactly how to explain it, but he softened me for God's work, and also gave me a chance to get to know Pastor Neil differently than just in the environment of our church, I saw him as a man of integrity, a man who really served the Lord, and and also he kind of bound our hearts together as two brothers in the Lord, and and that really, I think, set the stage where in 2004, Pastor Neil came to me and asked me to be part of staff here. But I got to tell you, that was a big storm for me when Neil asked me to be part of this church, and I'll tell you why. I was comfortable. Man, was I comfortable. I had a job. It was sweet, and I'm kind of built to be a sales guy. And I was making a lot of money. And I didn't need to have my family work. And I still was serving the Lord. And I kind of came up with this in my mind. Well, God, I'm sharing Christ with the people at my workplace, so I like my boat. I mean, this is soft. i got, I got padding all around. I'm comfortable, Lord. And I'm serving you. We're safe, right? We're good. No. God started a storm in our life because he wanted me out of the boat. He wanted us out of the boat. I gotta ask you, are you safe right now? Are you too comfortable? Two things. Growth happens when we obey God in the small things. And growth happens when we recognize that the Lord is in the midst of our fears. And there's a third one. Growth happens when we give up our comfort to obey the Lord. Growth happens when we give up our comfort To obey the Lord. This particular one hits Orange County Christianity right between the eyes because our whole culture is built around affluence and comfort. Look at verses, well, actually, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 14 on this one, and we're going to start in verse 28. Matthew 14, verses 28 through 31. Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat. And he walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, and he said, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, he took hold of him, and he said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, this is a very well-known story in the Bible, and I'm sure most of us have read it a number of times and have heard it, but I learned some lessons again as I went through this study, and I hope it helps you as well. Peter recognized the Lord in the midst of the storm, if you will, in the midst of his fear. He realized, I think, right there that this was Jesus. I mean, think about the scene. You got the small boat. It's crowded in with 12 disciples. The the waves are crashing against the sides. The wind is blowing, and all of a sudden, there's a figure off in the distance, and, and they recognize it's a man. And put yourself in Peter's place. I think he suddenly has insight that this might be the Lord. And all of a sudden, instead of this being fearful, suddenly there's a mix of that fear, but also kind of that sense of adventure. You know, like Jesus. And by the way, Jesus isn't in the boat. Where is he? He's out of the boat. And what does Peter want to do? He wants to be where Jesus is. More than anything else, he wants to be where Christ is, and that's such a good thing for us. Because sometimes, I mean, let me just tell you, sometimes we think the safest place is in the boat, but there's no guarantee that it's any safer in the boat. The safest place is always where Jesus is. And so Peter, by faith, and I think it's kind of like this, he's like, okay, this is it, man, I'm stepping in. And he steps out of the boat, and I think first he's got a hold, right? He probably has the boat, but then he lets go. And he's totally under the power and the care and the authority of Jesus Christ, and I can tell you, sometimes in life, particularly when you're serving the Lord, there are those times where you understand you're right in the sweet spot. You're serving the Lord with all that you are. And you're in His very presence, and you're just where He is. You just want to be with Him. And for other people, it looks scary. It is the scariest place to be. But for you and for Peter right now, man, he's right where God wants him. And he's walking on water. He's the first normal human being to walk on water. In fact, he's the only normal human being to walk on water. What an exciting experience. And I have a lot of esteem after I went through this message for Peter. The Lord was in the water and that's where Peter wants to be. And I gotta tell you, I think there's something in each of us that's calling us to that, don't you think? That sometimes we know that God is calling us out of our comfort. We understand he's calling us to do and to try something for the glory of the Lord that goes beyond what we can do. The problem is is we're afraid. And the problem is most of the time, if I'm honest, it's comfortable. So that's the question. What's your boat? What is your boat? What is the area of comfort for you that for whatever reason you're unwilling to move out in faith for the Lord? I love the way John Ortberg puts it. He said, want to know what your boat is. He says, your fear will tell you. What is it that produces fear in you, especially when you think of leaving it behind and stepping out in faith with the Lord? I'm going to read that again. want to know what your boat is. Your fear will tell you. What is it that produces fear in you, especially when you think of leaving it behind and stepping out in faith? What are you afraid to lose if you're going to follow after Christ? What are you afraid that he might ask you to do? For some of you, it might be a career. That was one of my fears. I had gotten back in the routine. And some of you, your identity is so in what you do that you have a hard time distinguishing your identity in Christ and your identity in your job. Maybe he's asking you to somehow figure that part out right now. For others of you, it might be a relationship. You know it dishonors the Lord. But you're so afraid of being alone. But maybe God is calling you to trust Him, that He will provide what you need. For some of you, it might be a hidden secret. Some of you might have something that nobody else knows about. It might be an addiction. And it's got a grip on you. And you're actually afraid of the shame. And you're afraid that if that gets exposed, but can I tell you something, there's freedom in Christ. Whatever your boat is, whatever this area of fear is, God is always calling us out of that to come to him, to always be where Christ is. And so Peter, we see, he he takes a step of faith. Look at verse 28. He says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. By the way, that's a great prayer. Lord, I sense that you're calling me to something. Lord, help me. Lord, call me. Let me know what you want me to do, Lord. That's a great one. And what does Jesus say? Come. Come. Now, I just want to tell you, if you hear Jesus say come, you better go. If he speaks to you and he says, I'm calling you, there's no better place to be than where he's calling you. And he says to Peter, come. And Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water. And I think with him, there's all those emotions stirring, right? I think part of it is joy and delight. Wow, what an experience to actually walk on water and to have the Lord before you. And and he sees Jesus and he's just walking towards him with the thrill of being used by God in such a special moment right there. But what's the problem? Did you guys see it? Peter takes his eyes off Christ. And he begins to look at the wind and the waves. He begins to look at the things around him. And the amazing thing is, it was there the whole time. Peter's walking towards Christ. He's walking on the water. The the waves were big. The winds were roaring. But what did he see? He saw Christ. And oftentimes, our biggest struggle in the midst of the trials that we have, in the midst of the storms of our life, is that our eyes really aren't on Christ. They're at the stuff. They're at our problems and we don't have a focus on him, and so we struggle, and we begin to sink. But I love what happens is when Peter, that reality sunk in, when he began to, to sink, he began to see the wind. It says right here, he became frightened, beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. He knew where to run, and he knew where to call. That reality sank in for Peter. Peter. Now he's terrified. I think it's important for us to understand another principle here. Sometimes when we never really even look at Christ before we ever get out of the boat, so all we ever see is the wind and the waves, and so we never leave the safety of comfort. And oftentimes God is calling us to do that. Are you willing to risk it all for Christ's sake? And you can because Jesus is more powerful than any storm. And here's a deep truth about water walking. Fear never really goes away, does it? You know what I mean? I mean, whenever you really want to serve the Lord, whenever it's time to grow, it involves going into new territories. It involves trying things that perhaps you've never tried before, taking on new challenges that you've never ever expected that you'd ever be called to do. One writer said this He said, Fear and growth go together like macaroni and cheese, it's a package deal. I love Henry Blackaby. Henry Blackaby says this. He says, the first response to a God-sized calling is generally fear. Some people say, God will never ask me to do something I can't do. And I've come to the place in my life that if the assignment that I sense God is giving to me is something that I know I can handle, then I know that it's probably not from God. This kind of assignment God gives in the Bible are always God-sized. They're always beyond what people can do because he wants to demonstrate his nature and his strength and his provision and his kindness to his people and to the watching world. This is the only way that the world will come to him and will know him. Do you have a God-sized calling? Has God laid something on your heart and you're like, man, Lord, I'm so afraid. That's actually a good place to be. That's a sweet spot with the Lord. Because he always meets us right there. But we have to be willing to get out of a comfort. Now, in verse 30 and 31, and this is why I think I so appreciate Peter, he took a risk. He said, All right, I'm out. It says, Seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he said, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Now, not only did Jesus grab a hold of Peter, I think Peter grabbed a hold of him. And isn't that the way it works? And that's the way it's supposed to work in the Christian faith. And some people say that Peter failed because Jesus said, oh, you of little faith. But can I tell you, Peter had little faith, but I think it was great faith. Because you had 11 other disciples in there that had no faith. They were unwilling to risk it. But Peter was willing. I was asked to come on staff in 2004. Now we become very comfortable again in Orange County living, and it's really easy to do here. We come off the mission field, settled back. The career was going. The kids were happy. Karen didn't want to work. I mean, everything was exactly the way we had planned it. I had this retirement program, guys. It was just killer. And not only was I put money away in the 401K, but I also had this separate thing, which was stock options. And man, it was like that golden umbrella deal. In fact, as right now at my age, I would have been retired. But suddenly there was a storm, and in the midst of that storm, I knew that it was the Lord that was calling for us as a family to take a step of faith. And sometimes you just know it's the Lord. Now, how do you know? Well. I don't know how God works in your life, but, and I don't know what he's calling you to, but this was a particular storm, a particular call on my life. And one of the authors that I like to read is Alistair Begg when it comes to ministry, and he, he has a really good book called On Being a Pastor. And he talks about the, the call of God for those that are called in pastoral ministry. There's usually an inward and an outward call. I had an inward call it was, a, it was kind of a burning desire to serve the Lord, and it was increasing as every year passed. And I didn't exactly know what to do with that, but I wanted to always preach, <laughs> always teach, and always evangelize. And, and, and I was constantly trying to figure out ways that I, if you will, could make that happen. And then, then the outward call came. The leaders of our church said, hey, we think God's calling you to be a pastor here. And so suddenly, that reality that was kind of inward was suddenly placed with an outward call. And Alistair Begg says, that when those two meet, it's time to move. Well, I was asked in 2004, but I had a really hard time trusting the Lord. I'll be, I'll be straight with you. I was afraid. And I was afraid in three areas. One was financial. Two boys getting ready to go to college. Okay, I can afford that when I, when I have my current position, but I knew that being the salary of a pastor, there was no way, and so I was afraid of that. Number two, my wife didn't have to work. And I felt the responsibility as a husband to to give her that and to not have to be with the kids. That that was important to me. But number three, I had no training in pastoral ministry. I didn't have a seminary degree. I read my Bible in the morning. I mean, I just didn't feel qualified or, or ready for that big call. And God took each one of them individually and broke them down. The call financially happened at a missions conference. First speaker up on Friday night, he gets in the pulpit and he looks out at the audience, I felt like he was looking at me, and he says, do you have a condition for God? And I was like, yeah. And he says, I had a condition before I came into full-time ministry, and my condition was my son had to go to college, and I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. And I'm like, oh, great. And he went, and he just laid out this text that just dealt with all my objections. Right there that day, you were there, Chester. I stood up, and I handed it over to the Lord. For my wife's work, we got together and we prayed, and my wife had been a teacher, and we looked at her times if she went back into teaching, and they were exactly the same as our kids. She'd be home when they were home, and we're like, wow, praise the Lord. But now came the big one. I wasn't ready, I felt like. I didn't have a seminary degree. I didn't know what to do about that. But then I remembered that God, He equips you when He calls you, but you've got to be willing to step out. And I stepped out. In 2006, April 14th, I got out of my boat and I stepped into a full-time ministry here at this church. And I cannot tell you how glad I am. And there have been major storms and there have been difficulties, sometimes way too big for me to handle. But Jesus has always been there. He has always been present and he has never let me or my family down. Growth happens when we obey God in the small things. Growth happens when we recognize the Lord in the midst of our fears. Growth happens when we give up our comfort to obey the Lord in the last one. Growth happens when we give Jesus the worship that he deserves. Growth happens when we give Jesus the worship that he deserves. There's two different texts here. I'm going John chapter 6, verse 21, and Matthew chapter 14, verses 32 and 33. It says, so they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land in which they were going. And when they got into the boat, Matthew 14, 32 says, when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And verse 33 says, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you certainly are God's son. So I want you to know that this event, it wasn't just one miracle. There were actually probably more than four, but I, I see four very clearly. There are four miracles that happened in rapid succession. Number one, the first miracle, of course, is Jesus walked on water. That's the first one. The second miracle is that Peter then walked on water. There's a third one, and it's right here in Matthew. It says that that when Jesus got into the boat, the wind stopped. That storm just, that's a miracle. And the fourth miracle is there in John. When they got into the boat, immediately, it says, they're at their destination. Now, they were only about four miles out, so that's another four miles or so to go. So, wow, four miracles. Why did Jesus do that? Now, some would say, well, they were in trouble, and Jesus needed to come and rescue them. No. That is the heart of our God. He is a rescuing Savior. You know why he did that? So they would worship him. They would see who he is, and they would give him the worship that he deserves. It's not that he needs worship. They need the worship. We are designed by God to worship. And these disciples, they were missing it. We know that from Mark 6.52. It says that they had not gained insight from the incident of Jesus making the miracle of the loaves because their hearts were hardened. They didn't get it when Jesus did that miracle with the 20,000 people, but they got it this time. Because in verse 33 it says, all those in the boat, they worshiped him, saying, certainly, you are the son of God. I think the disciples here learned such valuable lessons, and it helped them to worship Jesus for who he is. One, first thing they learned, wherever they are, Jesus knows where they're at. What a valuable lesson. No matter what the storm is, no matter what the trial is, he knows exactly where you're at, and he knows exactly how to get to you. Two, Jesus helps. He shows up. He has a strength in time of need. He never leaves. He never forsakes. And three, Jesus brings them home. And he will always bring us back to the most important place, which is his worship, a place of worship in him. All this reveals that he deserves our worship. And that's the question, does he have your worship this morning? I've been part of this church now in terms of pastorally for 10 and a half years. I've been here since 1999. And it's been in such a pl- pleasure and a privilege for me to be part of what God's doing in this church, seeing Him bring each of you to a place of worship and actually being part of that process here. And my desire is that the Lord would be honor, honored by everything that we do and say. Not only does He deserve our worship, he demands our worship. The question is, will we give him it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We recognize the work that you have done. We thank you, Lord, how you use this event and in, in the disciples' life to draw them to the point where they would worship you, to give you honor and praise as you deserve. Help us now, Lord, as we close this service to to really reveal in our hearts if you have our worship. I pray that you'll make it plain, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.